I come in the name of Jesus to just drop a few words that can lead us tonight in the ministration. And uh, the title of the message is Understanding the Davidic Covenant. Understanding the Davidic Covenant. Or another title could be Unlocking the Davidic Covenant. The Covenant of David. The Davidic Covenant. Allow me to begin this way before reading the scripture. According to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, which most of us know from memory, we are saved by grace through faith. But nobody in the Old Testament exemplifies faith for us like Abraham, just like also nobody in the Old Testament exemplifies grace for us like David. I repeat, according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, which we all know, we are saved by grace through faith. But to understand faith, naturally you have to look at Abraham, and to understand grace, naturally you have to understand or look at David. So we can say in short, the Abrahamic covenant is the covenant of faith, while the Davidic covenant is a covenant of grace. So when we say the God of Abraham, we are talking about the God who supplies faith, while when we talk about the God of David, we are talking about the God who supplies grace. Let's keep going. When you look at David, you see a man who did not deserve everything God did for him and through him. Number one, when he's killing Goliath, he is not from a military school. He goes to a military uh, journey without a military training. What was that? That was grace. When you look at him again, he had not come from a royal clan or a royal family. The Bible says, when we had time, we could look at it. The Bible says, I am a poor man and my father's house is unknown. So to be king, he was a commoner. To be a warrior or a champion, he was also an, an untrained soldier. What was that that made him kill Goliath? It was grace. What was that that made him king? It was still grace. We're going on. Again, he's told to marry the king's daughter. So we are looking at his career, it was grace. We are looking at him, at him being king, it was grace. Now we are looking at marriage. He's told to marry a king's daughter. And this time he's told to marry a king's daughter. The man is not even 30 years old. Live alone does he even have savings in his account. The Bible says, who am I to become the king's son-in-law? Don't you know that I am poor? And God decides that with this poverty he will still be king. With this poverty he will still be a king's son-in-law. So when the king is coming with gold and silver on top of his daughter, covering him, I mean covering her with all the wealth, David came with the poverty. He came smelling of sheep. And God had still decided, this poor man, this commoner, will be the king's son-in-law. Moving on. David becomes a married man and he has children. And now you expect because he's a man of grace, his children will be the best. His children will turn out to be the choir masters in church. And the firstborn was Amnon. God, have mercy 
on any one of you if you have a relative called Amnon. <laughs> because Amnon decides to rape his own sister. And within two years, the Bible says, the man was killed. By who? By Absalom. So we began with the incest. Now we are going into rape. Thirdly, now we are going into murder. The house of a man chosen by God. After Absalom has killed his brother Amnon, he goes ahead now to, to scheme how to overthrow his father. And after we have seen rape and incest and murder, now we are seeing a coup d'etat. We have moved from sexual scandal to criminal, uh, you know, criminal issue. Now we are looking at a political disaster. All in the house of one man. By the time Absalom is done with his coup d'etat, his cousin, first cousin called Job, comes and kills him. We are looking at another homicide. We are looking at another family murder. Blood was all over this house. And then David stands before God, just before he dies. And he says something that I want us to read. But before we read it, let me rub the salt deeper. This man began off unqualified. He proceeded unqualified. He climaxed unqualified. When we talk about the Davidic covenant, we have to look at how much does it take for God to do you good when you don't deserve it. How much does it take for God to plant you in a marriage when you don't deserve to be planted in a marriage? How much does it take for God to make you great when you don't deserve to be great? So God comes and tells David, not only will I establish you as king forever, but the day I decide to be a human being, I will be called your son. You who is full of blood. You who has committed adultery and your children have committed incest. You, David, you, you, you. I will be born through you. When I'm taking my birth certificate, it will carry your name. People talk about David as if he was such a great person. It was not David being a great person. It was the mercies of God upon him being great. It is time as a church to stop talking about the greatness of a human being and to look at the greatness of the mercy shown to that human being because that grace is available for you to access. Now we read the last words of David. You know, some of you, you, like me, you've had great-grandparents who are very old and they gave you those last words. When somebody is giving you the last word, they are undressing themselves. They are revealing every secret that was ever there. So David is revealing to us his last secrets. They are in six verses of Second Samuel 23. Now we can read before we pray. These are the last words of David. I read from... Uh, let me read from King James. Now this be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs, or the sweet psalmist of Israel. Verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Verse 3. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. 
and it shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although, verse 5, that is where I want us to really look at, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Let's stop there. David is saying something. That when men are ruling, they must rule in the fear of God. When men are ruling, they must be just. When men are given opportunity, they must do things right. However, he as David knows, when he had his chance to rule, he did not rule right. Along the way he murdered. Along the way he did whatever he did with Bathsheba and all these things he did wrong. As he looks at himself, he does not see good. He only sees failures. But something gives him confidence to go to the grave in peace. We see it in verse 5. That even though I have not done as I have already said men should do, I have one confidence. This is my confidence. We read again in verse 5. Although my house be not so with God, even though my house is not just, or it is not righteous, or it is not in the fear of God, are you getting me? Yet, he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. So what helped David, which will help you, if you will open your heart from today, is the covenant God made with David. That covenant is what saved the day. Because when you look at the track record of his children, when you look at the track record of his own life, it was all a mess. Now that God made a covenant with David, that alone saved the day. But why is it that, Pastor Kimani, God can make a covenant with you and with me, a common covenant? Because through Christ Jesus, all of us have the access to the covenant God made with David. It is an everlasting covenant. Christ only came now to make it available for all of us. It is like there was a secret drug that only the rich could be able to buy, but somebody came and made it available even to the poor. But why is it that this covenant is not working in the life of so many people. Why is it that when some people make a mistake, they never get a second chance? Why is it that some people are still crying to God and heaven is still shut? Long after God has said, grace is available. Can I give you the answer? This is the answer. Those who have been shown grace must also show grace. Those, I repeat, who have been shown grace must also show grace. Those who have seen God's mercy must also show mercy. There, Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 5 and he says, Blessed are the merciful, or blessed are the gracious, because, not in heaven, right here on earth, they will also be shown, shown the same grace, they will also, also be shown the same mercy. So the reason why the Davidic covenant is not being activated in the lives of many people, despite of God already promising that this covenant is universal and available for everybody, is because people want the God of David to be merciful to them, 
But them, they don't want to be merciful. People want the blessings that David carried, but they don't want the character that David carried. David had one weakness. And if you are called David, say amen. Now, David had one weakness. Do you know the weakness of David? David loved his enemies more than his friends. He was quick to help his enemies. He was quick to pardon his enemies more than to pardon his own friends. And one time Joab asked him, King, your son almost overthrew you, and by default, he almost killed all of us who follow you. Now that he's dead, you are crying more and forgetting us in the field. Come and give us a speech to cheer us up, or we will desert you. And David was being reminded about a weakness that even Jesus also carried. Jesus comes to the Pharisees and he calls them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, blah, blah, blah. And those killing him, he lifts his voice and says, Father, I beg you, forgive them. The spirit that was upon David, the attitude that was upon David was an attitude of being gracious. An attitude of doing better for those who do you worse and sometimes being tempted to forget even those who do you good. As David showed mercy, he was shown mercy. As David gave the non-qualified people a second chance, God gave him everlasting chance. Let me not call it a thousand chance. And why is God giving this man an everlasting covenant? Because this is one man who has no problem forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. So Barzillai took takes a stone and throws at him. He, he feels the stone is not enough. He takes dust, throws at him. He feels dust is not enough. He takes abuses, throws at him. He feels it is not enough. David later on tells Solomon, he called bitter castings on me. So after abusing him, he felt, this is not enough. Let me now cast this king. And immediately the king is restored to his kingdom. The first people to meet him among them was, was Shimei. And as Shimei approached this man, David said, you are forgiven. Quick to forgive was David. No wonder God also was quick to forgive him. Every time I'm dashing to make a mistake and I find I've made it, the first thing I ask myself in my heart, though I expect to be forgiven quickly, do I also forgive quickly? Though I do not count this thing, am I also expecting to also receive the same counting? The covenant of David is not just going to be activated by prayer. I have authority to tell you this from Jesus. The covenant of David will not just be activated by prayer. It will be activated by a daily lifestyle that was patterned through David. Better than anybody else ever patterned. Paul lost his temper. Peter lost his temper. David rarely lost his temper. When he lost it, he was quick to recover his heart. So Jesus comes as the son of David. When he says, I am the son of David, it was meaning, I am the personification of grace. The grace that was upon David, now I am the personification. I am the summary of it. And people of God, I beg you, like pastor was saying, be gracious, be forgiving. People of God, I beg you, as pastor was saying, and even the man of God was saying in the morning, forget the past. The God of David is a God who begins with a poor man and makes him rich, but does not expect this man to carry anything he should not carry. David goes to the throne, and his first order of business 
Do you know what it was? He did two things. Number one, he reached out to the man who had tried to kill him for over 13 years. And he took his commander, Abner, and he wanted to make him his closest friend. Number two, he reached out to the grandson of the man who tried to kill him for 13 years. And he ordered, Mephibosheth, you will be eating at my table. What a man. A person who carried grace. A personification of what grace was. Jesus comes now as the son of David. And everything Jesus said and did, every finger he lifted, every sweat he sweated was pure grace. Let me, let me surprise you people. Some of you want to be anointed. You want to be used by God. Some of you want to be great. You want to be rich. You want to be respected in your office. Let me tell you the truth. The God of David who lifts men from rearing sheep and becoming kings, this is the path he uses to lift people. He uses the path called grace. The gracious you are is the greater you are. And people love when you are at the top and you are gracious. People love it when you are at the top or going to the top and you are gracious. Why? Grace promotes. Grace makes things sweet. So what is our prayer this evening as we prepare to minister to you? Our prayer is this. May the Lord Jesus, who is the source of all grace, begin to convict your heart that in places where you could not carry grace, you will begin to carry grace. In places where you could say, ah, Mimi Snayonema. Do you know, Pastor, people talk about, I don't have that grace as if it is a badge of honor. And you think by saying that now you are going to be lifted up. <laughs> when you don't have grace, you are on your way down. And it should not just be a quick confession you make out of your mouth. We tell you to go maybe to Isili. I don't have grace for Isili. We tell you to walk maybe for two kilometers. I don't have grace to walk two kilometers. When you are always confessing how much grace you do not have, in, indeed, you will not have the grace. Grace enables you to be and to do everything. And that is what we need this evening. We need the covenant of David. Now, another angle that the Lord was showing me we need to pray tonight is that we need to bring the men to the altar and tell the Lord, just like David who became no matter the men, this is the men. It will no longer define me. It will be used of you to show me your grace and mercy. David goes before God to receive the anointing oil as king at the age of 30. And instead of being reminded of how much blood he has shed, God was quick to promote him as king. David hands over the kingdom to Solomon, and he does not tell him, Solomon, you need to really repent because this family has shed a lot of blood. No. David tells Solomon, my son Solomon, show yourself a man and honor the God of your father. Because the God of your father was a God who shows grace. I know repentance is good, but grace is greater than repentance. Because repentance is we seeking grace. What we are seeking cannot be greater, cannot be smaller than what we do to get what we are seeking. So though you are repenting, yes, but what is the objective? Why are you repenting to the end that what can happen? To the end so that you can be shown grace. And sometimes you don't even need to pray a lot of prayers. You only need to check your heart. Where the kingdom of God dwells and say, Lord, in my heart, I feel there is grace. 
And I thank you because by that grace, I have already overcome. My house, David says, is not so. And you know, pastor, sometimes we are quick to tell people and to tell God how our house is so. Father, I stand before you because I am this right and I am this right. And God is like, please, what are you doing? What are you doing trying to correct what is filthy? Trying to make sweet what is bitter? You need to stand before God and say, Lord, though I am not so, though my house is not so, yet I am still downloading, I am still grasping, I am still holding on to the covenant that is greater than my mess, that is greater than my past. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We're also going to pray for another group of people. As we speak like David, you are already in a mess. And you know it. You're already in a mess. Whether it is a financial mess or a moral mess, you are already in a mess. And you are wondering, Lord, what do I do? How do I pray? Some messes you don't pray. Some messes you align yourself in the grace of God. And you begin to command the grace to manifest on your behalf. When David sinned, he repented. But after repenting, he rose up and he kept walking in the covenant the Lord had already made with him. An everlasting covenant that his house will always stand forever. Remember, no matter the mistake, God has already guaranteed an everlasting stability. Your job is to grasp that stability, to understand that stability, and to manifest that stability. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to do that? Thank you. This is how we are going to pray. If all of us will be honest, we will begin by first of all humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, all along I thought it was about what I do. I didn't understand it's about your grace. All along I thought it is about what I have not done. Now understand that the God of David is a God who gives grace. The God of David, the covenant of David, is a covenant of grace, the covenant of enablement, the covenant of facilitation. And I see two people here. You are trying to undertake, can I call it, a venture. And all this time it has been about, I have killed the bear, I have killed the lion. Now this giant must fall because I have killed the bear, I have killed the lion. You have forgotten that the foundation of our faith is faith and grace. And some of you, you are not able to rest because you are too much of, I have to work, I have to do this, I have to do that. Grace is waiting for you to slow down so that grace can write the script on your behalf. And therefore, you can become a worshiper for what God has done, not a worker for what God has not done. This evening, I want to tell you something. One time I stood here and I said, one of the sources of grace, according to the scripture, is humility. First Peter 5, 5 says, God shows grace to the humble. Grace begins sometimes when we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, I cannot crack this. Lord, I cannot go through with this. So we are going to begin by humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. And saying, Lord, we need your grace. And uh, some of you may have to bring before God what you have not done. And tell him, Lord, even despite the fact that I have not done this or accomplished this. Yet because your grace is already there, 
I thank you. I have a guarantee for tomorrow. One time we were <laughs> discussing with a dear friend who is known to some of my close friends here. And we talked about how a marriage should be and how a good spouse should be and all these things. And we talked for 25 minutes, arguing back and forth. And we were joined by other friends of ours. And then the Spirit of the Lord told me, what is the overriding quality of all those things you have said? And I said, Lord, it is all about your grace. Because we are looking at how to approach marriage and how to make sure it is going well and how to make sure the person is right and all this clinical work. And we discovered, by the way, if God shows grace, things will work. If he does not show grace, despite of all the calculations, things will not work. There is a covenant God wants to make with some of you. The covenant of grace. The covenant of David. The covenant of a man who has shed so much blood. And God decides, through this man, I'm still going to raise myself a kingdom. Allow me to pray briefly. Father, in the name of Jesus, we acknowledge the gift of Jesus that came through the covenant of David, the covenant of mercy and grace. We are sorry, Lord, for ignoring this covenant or just understanding it intellectually and not taking it personally in our day-to-day -day lives. This evening, we ask you to forgive us. This evening, we ask you for mercy. This evening, we ask that the weak will be made strong as they understand that it is your grace which has done everything. It is not of us anymore, as you say in your word in Ephesians chapter 2. Lord, it is your grace that has worked out everything. That, Father, as we enter into this covenant and the manifestations of it, we will indeed be set free. This evening, we have heard from your spirit that to the gracious you'll show, you'll show grace. To the merciful, you will show mercy. And Lord, we bring repentance tonight. In places where we have not been gracious, we have not been merciful. Lord, forgive us.